How are you? Hi. Well, I mean, that's a tough one to follow. If, what, what did you just say? If you're not moving, you're dying? Yep. I mean, I was like, uh, can <laughs> I rescind that request? That's like a really serious moment. Yes, I, had, I was just taking some questions from people, and somebody was saying that they struggle with their physical health. And I was talking about the mind-body connection, how important it is. Uh, obviously, you're big on mindset. We'll talk a lot about that. But you, if, you know, it's a lot harder to have a powerful, strong growth mindset when you're not taking care of yourself physically because all that stuff tends to tie in. I mean, why don't we lead off with that? Um, you know, do you agree with that? Do you, you know, as part of what you do, do you help people with the physical as well as their mental or do you just focus on the mental side? No, this is, this is beautiful. There's an amazing book called The Body Keeps Score. Okay. I believe that's what it's called. And I, I think for people in our audience today, Will, who have questions about the mind-body connection, who believe in the mind-body connection, but they're just not, you're, you're just not sure. Let me speak to you directly. You're just not sure how it works practically. Um, you've heard about the mind-body connection. It's hard for you to access your feelings or know what you're feeling or where they're stored in your body, all of those kinds of things. The, the Body Keeps Score is a great, I would say, introduction slash um, intermediate slash even some advanced. I haven't work. read it. I've read a lot of them. I've not read this one. I have heard of it. Yeah, so it's, it's great um, because I think even though for those people that are here with us today, for all of you that are here with us today, you know, there probably aren't too many folks in the audience who are like mind-body connection, no. And yet at the same time, I think when we talk about that in community, it's so easy for people to be like, yeah, right. but how does that, right. actually, how does that right. actually work, you know? So an illustrative example that I have of this that's been part of my own journey is in my mid-20s, I started getting these debilitating back spasms um, every 12 to 24 months. And it would just seemingly come on, the muscles in my back would tighten up and it would go for like two days of like pulsing pain. It was excruciating. Um, I have two I have two children. Will, I believe you have three yeah, children? Three boys, that's right. Three yeah. And how old are yours? What, boy, girl? Nice. My, oh, nice. my boys are eight and 10. Yeah, I got I think six, they're a little older than yours. Four months, so you're a little ahead of me. Boom. There you go. There you go. You got your hands full. So, you know, so I kept trying to figure out like, what is going on with my back and like, what is this related to? And am I straining it? Am I, you know, am I not staying hydrated? All the things, well, you know, he healing and the mind body connection is such a powerful element of our lives. And oftentimes the things that were looking for or that we're searching for or the healing that is available to us like oftentimes is like right under our nose just talking to a dear a dear friend about this this morning her name's Pollock Patel she's an amazing vegan chef look her up check her out go to her uh, food stall restaurant in Atlanta called that dash and chutney and what I realized was Every time this core wound that I have or had from childhood around abandonment 
got triggered, mm. my back would tighten up. And that's where I was holding energetically the feelings of abandonment. And that's where I experienced that in my body. So, you know, if I really just kind of like put a practical tip on that, what I found was anytime I felt threatened or scared by abandonment um, in a significant way, then my back would start to tighten up. And once I put those two things together, that's been life-changing for me because I can identify when I'm feeling those moments of abandonment and rather than staying quiet about it, like let those feelings out, journal it out, talk to people, you know, get in community as opposed to feeling isolated. And it's been a tremendous journey in healing my body through healing some of my core wounding that occurred. Uh, I mean, that's, that's amazing that you were able to figure that out and that connection. Because a lot of people, right, they go through their whole lives and they don't really understand and they never come up with a diagnosis or a way to fix it. So how, so how have you now, like, where yeah. are you now with it? Well, I'm, I'm coming up. So it's interesting. This will be a, a really good litmus test. I'm coming up on 12 months since I've had any oh. back issues, right? And so the threshold was kind of 12 to 24 months. So I'll be really excited and interested to continue to stick with this practice of awareness and of vocalizing my emotions and my experience, you know, as I sort of go into this like hot, hot bed window and see if, um, you know, I've, I've um, been able to understand the connection in a deeper way that then will keep my body from physically needing to emote what I'm not expressing right. emotionally. Okay. Uh, well, keep us posted. I mean, <laughs> right? I know you're like, hey, no, this is trust me. I, I love like, me some deep comments. Send me a postcard. I do not, I do not stay in the shallows. That that does nothing for anybody. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So I mean, so nope. now let's get in. I mean, kind of jump right into that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, let's let's take a step back and tell. To our listeners, just a brief overview of, you know, your, who you are and how you got here and, you know, what led you to now to decide that I want to dedicate my life to, to helping others and, and to help them with their leadership and mindset and all these, these skills that you teach people. Um, and, you know, we'll get into kind of where you're headed with it all. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. And I just want to, I want to call out uh, the diamond, the diamond queen, I think is, is the handle. I, I keep getting these really encouraging messages in all caps, like absolutely true. And I thank you for that. Thank you for that. Those beautiful, encouraging uh, messages. I, I so, so appreciate seeing those, seeing those come through as we speak into the ether. Um, so if we just sort of transition for a moment about who I am. So I am Dr. Taryn Marie Stasekel. <laughs> Hello, the diamond queen now. Not the diamond queen yesterday, we're, but we're after it. She's, I love it. she's now. She's, no. she's in the here and now. Like right now. Yeah. Or I guess not he, I guess queen indicates That's... she, okay. We won't, we won't derail <laughs> yeah. on let's, pronouns. Let's stay focused. But, okay. Uh, so, uh, thank you, the Diamond Queen now. Uh, so, I'm Dr. Taryn Marie Stasekel, 
And uh, I have been doing research on how we effectively face challenge as humans for two decades. <laughs> Seems like a long time. And when my children were small, as yours are, Will, uh, I was sort of inexplicably, in addition to my corporate career, I headed up uh, global leadership development at Cigna and executive leadership development and talent strategy at Nike. So, you know, my day job during the week, lots of travel, very busy, two little kids at home. And so on Sunday afternoon, when a, a, a normal person <laughs> would be like watching Netflix or doing laundry or getting a workout in while their children were napping, I was coding my data in my interviews. And I was asking people, I had been asking people a really powerful and simple question. And you can think about this, Will, for yourself, for the for those of you that are in the audience, you, know, you can think about this for yourself. Think about a time when you have faced a significant challenge or challenges. What did you do to effectively address or face that challenge, right? And so that is really sort of the opening interview question that I've been asking people for two decades because what I understand today you know, if, if we line up 10 people on the street and we ask those 10 people what their definition of resilience is, we might get 10 different answers, right? And what I've uncovered in the last two decades is that resilience is really about how we effectively face or address these inevitable moments in our lives when we face challenge, change, and complexity. And what I've developed now, having interviewed hundreds of people and collected thousands of pieces of data, right, like coded podcasts and journal mm -hmm. articles and white papers and, you know, interviews and all those types of things, is the five practices, my hand, get my hand here, five, the five practices of highly resilient people. And these are the five practices, Will, that any of us can engage in anytime the behaviors, anytime we face challenge, change, or complexity. And what's super exciting about this work is two things. One, we get to normalize as humans the experience of challenge, change, and complexity because there's a belief amongst many of us that we get to dispel now that says, you know what? If I was thoughtful enough, planful enough, strategic enough, saw around corners enough, worked hard enough, worked smart enough, then I shouldn't face challenge, change, and complexity. I should be able to engineer this out of my life, right. right? And not only do we know that that is um, categorically untrue, what we also know is that we don't want to because those moments of challenge, change, and complexity are the moments when we get to accelerate our strength, our wisdom, our compassion, our empathy, our understanding of like the, you know, what we're actually made of. So number one is we don't actually want to engineer those moments out of our lives. And two, so therefore, if we normalize those, if that is a, the fabric of what we experience as humans, right. then what do we do about it? Right. And so the five practices of highly resilient people is like, 
when we face a challenge and we're like, what am I going to do? Right. Then these are the five behaviors that we can engage in to create a more positive and productive outcome. And rather than just like shooting, you know, I don't know what the metaphor is rather than like shooting arrows. Yeah, that's, that's a real or one. Something, um, shoot, shoot, shoot rather than shooting in the dark, we won't take it all the way down the pike to arrows, rather than just like shooting in the dark, now we know, okay, if I engage in one of these behaviors, two, three, all five, I'm gonna create a more positive and productive outcome for myself and for the people around me when mm -hmm. I have these experiences. Okay, so I love it. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna take we'll a breath. pause there for a second and I wanna uh, <laughs> reflect on it. So, right, uh, you know, resilience, when I, when I, I talk to so many people on the show that like have all figured something out and, and it's always interesting to see how at the end of the day, out of all that sounds like you and I similar, read tons of books, uh, listened to, been to tons of seminars, listened to tons of podcasts. At the end of the day, I feel like it's life isn't rocket science. But it's it, you got to see through all the stuff that's in the way of these kind of these main universal principles and these things that have like proven themselves throughout the test of time to make humans happy. And I mean, at the very top of that list for me is is this sort of like being able to deal with failure. And, you know, again, it goes down, I call it a growth owner versus a fixed victim in terms of, you know, your mindset being everything, but sort of like, okay, when bad things happen, because they're going to happen. Like you can't, you can't, you can't not have them happen. And it's, but how are you handling it? Like, how are you essentially getting through that really tough spot? Whether it's something you can do something directly about itself, which then you say, okay, what can I do about it? And sometimes you can't do anything. Else. Sometimes bad things happen and it's like, there's really nothing you can do about that. But then it's like, okay, but what else? how are you pivoting over to something else that you can do something about? And what's the lesson that you learned from next time? Um, and I just, there's so many different ways I've seen people talk about it, package it and, and look at it. And I love how you're, you know, yours is very simple, right? Five, five highly effective habits of resilient people or five, I'm, 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 I'm probably combining highly effective habits of seven habits, five habits of highly resilient people. Was that it? Practice, excuse me. Practices, practices, five practices. But I mean, yeah, I mean, and that's it. And it's like anybody yes. that can help people and different things are going to work for different people. People are going to grab onto certain things, but like, right. If you can kind of get through to individuals and show them like, look, like life's going to suck sometimes and you don't have to jump up and joy for joy up and down when it does. But what you do want to develop is a way to, to say, okay, let's take a deep breath. Let's reset let's put things in perspective. Like, what am I grateful for? What do I have going for me? Like comparatively to everything else versus just getting sucked into this dwelling and just using all your time and energy on it. And then sort of saying, okay, how can I now? All right. I've learned that. I now know that for next time. How can I move forward? To me, that's like 99% of it. <laughs> like that's it. Cause if you have that going, if you have that, everything else just becomes incrementally easier in life. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, gosh, you said so many great things there. Will. I'm, I'm still taking in everything that you said, said, and the diamond queen now is not disappointing. <laughs> we got like true in all caps. You got it. You can challenge it. it. Like, it. I'm like, yeah. 
Yes, queen. Yes, queen. Yes, queen. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, gosh, I heard so many great things in what you said. One of the things that I, I felt like I heard you say, um, which I think is tremendously powerful and salient to this conversation is the idea, and this goes back to what we were talking about, the mind-body connection, the idea about how our mindset is connected with the actions that we take and then what we feel about our experience. And so when I heard you talking about showing up, you know, I'm just going to sort of paraphrase, right? But like showing up, being willing to try again, being willing to learn, you know, that's, that's really a growth mindset, right? If you're familiar with Carol Dweck's work and positive psychology and, and things like that, I know you are well, and the folks um, joining us today. So, so that's, you know, growth mindset and positive psychology. And I felt like we knew so much about mindsets around resilience. Like we had, we really got that well-researched. And I think the point that you make about this idea of like our mindset, how that goes hand in hand with then the ability to recognize that we are empowered to make a choice about how we respond in these situations is so powerful. You know, Viktor Frankl survivor of the Holocaust, author of Man's Search for Meaning and other books, talks about this space that exists between stimulus and response. And the space between like the thing that happens, stimulus, and how we decide to respond, response, he talks about that is the last available human freedom you know, coming from a man who spent years in Nazi concentration camps, but everything else was taken away from him except for the fact that he could choose how he responded to his circumstances. And I think when we get to ourselves as a, as a precursor, as a prerequisite, if you will, to be in a place where we're empowered by knowing that we have a choice. Because how many times do we say, or hear people say, at least in the English language, without even really thinking about it, well, I didn't have a choice, so blah, blah, right. blah, blah, right? Now, we, 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 all have, we all have choice. We're always in choice. We always have choices. Those choices may not be good. Right? And, and other people might have better choices than the choices we have, yet we are always in choice, right? And when we step into that and when we recognize that we are empowered to make then a choice about how we, how we respond, how we behave, then I think that's what makes this framework so powerful because now we recognize that we are an empowered, active author in the life that we are creating. And now we have a framework, the five practices of highly resilient people that tells us what are the good choices that we can make that are going to lead to I love it. Well, let's talk about some of those choices. So yeah, look, can you tell us? Let's, let's talk, talk about, about, oh my God, that just reminded me for some reason. I don't, let's doesn't Shania about. Twain have a, I just watched her documentary, by the way. Oh my God, totally unrelated. This is my ADD kicking in. Let's give them something to talk about. That's why it reminded me. Oh my God, is it, is it about? good? Yeah. Wait, no, oh that's um, that's Bonnie Raitt. Isn't that yeah, Bonnie Raitt? Right. But it reminded me of it. 
Let's give them something. No, that's that's fair. Bonnie, yeah. Bonnie Raitt. She, she uses this yeah, powerful, came out Bonnie of nowhere. For anyone... just, her story is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. um, and then what? she kind of disappeared, right? And everybody's like, whatever happened to her? Like, you find out. And it's pretty freaking crazy. Sorry to get off track. Uh, but anyways, let's get mm. into some of these. Yes, let's get into Sounds some right of these, on track to me. These, um, these choices. Yeah. Where did you watch that Shania documentary? God. Was that on I mean, Netflix? these days, you know. It was either on Hulu, HBO, Netflix, Amazon Prime. Uh, whatever your main service is, just talk into it or search for it, and it'll, it'll show you. Okay. Yes. Shania Twain documentary, Run, Don't Walk, to your nearest <laughs> streaming service. You're welcome, Shania. You're welcome, Shania. Uh, yes. So, okay, practices. So, let's go. Well, so, how much time, let's how much go. Time Another, because we kind of got a late start, let's go another 10, 10 minutes. And yeah, sorry about a that. Over. I mean, we're good. And I have uh, a few questions I do want to ask you that ties into kind of, when you, once you describe this, I want to then talk about the gamification aspect, which is what I do. And I kind of help people, which is sort of, you know, I mean, it's I know. similar, you know, it's just my fancy word for basically saying, taking behavioral science and using it to our advantage by reducing the friction of being able to mm -hmm. form these, these practices and these habits that you want to, right? Using things like make it obvious, mm -hmm. make it easy, make it attractive, make it rewarding. Uh, these st stuff from like BJ Fogg and, and um, uh, James Clear and these types of things that I, I think is so important, especially in this day and age, when you're trying to learn new things, which you're about to tell us some new things. And rather than just somebody go right in their ear and go, uh -huh. yes, that's what I need to do until they scroll to the next thing they're looking on on Instagram, which could be a dancing monkey. And they go, oh, that's awesome. And then it's gone forever, right? So it's, it's having a system. It's being able to sort mm -hmm. of, so if you're, if you're watching this, be paying attention to what she's saying. Take a little bit of notes. And then after we're going to follow up with how you can maybe try to gamify it and incorporate that into your life. So please continue. Thank you for that. Um, Will, I wonder if I could take an artistic liberty Ooh. with your interview. And you, you are the ultimate decider. So I'm just going to submit this <laughs> for your consideration. What if when I go over each practice, while we talk about the practice, I give maybe one or two practical examples of Ooh, how we now we're talking. while I'm talking about now it. what we've done is we have yeah. literally combined the two and it's better to do it that way because it's in the moment. So I'm glad I prefaced that. Thank you for that. Love. Yes. Yes. I think it was your yeah, idea. But you did it in a, you've now taken it and, and so. made it into a better way of doing it. So system check. All right, let's party. <laughs> let's go. I love it. Let's go. Okay, so the first practice of highly resilient people. Now, fasten your seatbelts, ladies and gentlemen, because I was both um, convicted by this practice and surprised by what I heard people saying. The first practice of highly resilient people, the, the behavior that you can engage in to effectively address challenge, change, and complexity, or the three Cs, is... Drumroll, please. Dun, dun, dun. Vulnerability. And I was like, girl, what? And so I was surprised because I was of the camp at that time that vulnerability and resilience were opposite sides of the same coin, 
right? Like, isn't resilience tough and Teflon and not being impacted by our experiences? Well, it turns out it isn't actually. And the second thing was I had built a very effective life and career on being invulnerable. <laughs> and this was problematic for yeah. me <laughs> relative to what my research was demonstrating. Okay, so what is vulnerability? So what I'd like to do with each of the practices in the interest of time is to give you a, a definition and then to talk about some and some examples and to talk about some practical ways that we might think about implementing these or gamifying them. And just so you don't get worried, Will, uh, vulnerability has a lot of meat on the bone to tee up, but the other practices are not, you know, quite as involved in terms of explanation. Um, for vulnerability, the definition of vulnerability is allowing our inside self, our thoughts, our feelings, our um, experience to match the outside self that we okay. share with the world. And in psychology, you know, I know you were talking about um, depression and clinical diagnoses as I was joining. In psychology, we would talk about these two selves, the inside self and the outside self, um, as, as being congruent, right? If they're aligned with one another, you or other folks here today might be familiar with that term. So why is vulnerability helpful? and meaningful when we're facing the three C's, challenge, change, and complexity. Well, when we allow our inside self, thoughts, feelings, experience, to match the outside self we're sharing with the world, two important things happen. One, we're not running two human operating systems, meaning we're not feeling some kind of way on the inside and then pretending we don't feel some kind of way on the outside. Right. The really extreme examples of this are people who um, and, and this is and this is really sad. Right. The, the really extreme examples of this are people who commit suicide right. and people say, I had no idea right. that anything was wrong. This is someone who is running two operating systems that are very far apart mm -hmm. from one another. Right. So when we run two human operating systems, we're burning a lot of our energetic capital, right? Because rather than running one kind of core human operating system, we're running two. We're attending to how we feel on the inside, and then we're acting as though we feel a different way on the outside. So by being vulnerable, we bring those two operating systems more in alignment, and we burn less energy in a moment of challenge when we need energy anyway. The second thing is when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, then we're more likely to get the information, the resources, the tools, the support for what we're going through because we yeah. allow people to really see us. Okay. Now I saw a question or a comment come through in the audience, right? And I'm going to sort of paraphrase a couple of things. So you, I know, Will are familiar with Brene Brown. Many of the folks joining us today are familiar with Brene Brown. And Brene Brown also talks about vulnerability as being a key component in the folks that live a wholehearted life, meaning according to her kind of open, expansive, willing to experiment, you know, innovative, these types of things. So 
if we know that vulnerability is important and meaningful uh, in our lives, and, and Brene Brown says so, right? Why aren't we all running around living our most fabulous, vulnerable life, right? Like if people tell it, say it's good for us, well, two things. One, this is the fundamental chasm that exists for us for humans between knowing and doing, right? We know right. what things are good for That's us. Right. It doesn't mean we do them, right? There's a, there's a significant difference between knowing and doing. The second thing is something that I uncovered in my research when I wanted to answer this question called the vulnerability bias. And what the vulnerability bias is, it appears to be a hardwired uh, voice in our heads that says, oh, <laughs> Will, you want to be seen and known to a greater degree? You want to share that vulnerable, authentic thing with other people? That is a terrible idea, right? Because the vulnerability bias is like a hardwired kind of cognitive voice in our heads that says, I'm going to keep you safe. I'm like oh. that overprotective parent who's just yeah. like not going to let you out of the house. And the, and the vulnerability bias says, if you are vulnerable, if you allow yourself to be seen and known in a concerted way, the three L's will occur. People won't like you. They won't love you. And they very mm. well might leave. Right. And it's like, uh Oh, now abandonment yeah. triggered too. Darn it. The diamond queen is like, right. <laughs> That's the diamond queen. So the vulnerability bias is a powerful prohibition in our heads that tells us that vulnerability is a very bad idea. Yet the good news is it's an irrational fear. So what we get to do is, is sort of practice or in the language of this conversation will gamify, right? Vulnerability in a way that yeah. we bring it into the forefront of our lives. And why else is vulnerability important? Because it's the fertile ground from which authenticity and empathy grow, right? We can't be empathetic or authentic without first tapping into something vulnerable within ourselves. Um, so, Will, I'm going to give you a moment and, and no pressure to maybe think about if there's a way that you gamify or would gamify mm. vulnerability. And I'm going to, I'm going to give yeah. one while you, while you, you think about it. Actually, I'm going to give a couple. Um, one way to gamify vulnerability is to say the three hardest words that we can possibly say in the English language. Um, and, and make a practice to do that one time of day, one time a day. And those three words are, I need help, <laughs> or I would like your help. So we can gamify this by saying, okay, I'm going to ask for help for, mm -hmm. for, for, from someone every day. Maybe that's to teach me something. Maybe that's how they did something. Maybe it's, they have an experience where they've, you know, been through publishing a book or launching a course or, interviewing for a job or creating a resume um, and I'm, and I'm going to ask for help. We don't ask for help because oftentimes we think it's a sign of weakness. We think it's a burden. We think we're bothering people. And yet if we tap into how we feel in the moments when someone else asks us for help, what that feels like for many of us or for most of us, it feels super good. We're like, wait, hold on me. Uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Because it's, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I want to pause right there real um, quick. Um, that, that goes back to the very first self-help book I ever read. 
uh, that changed, it was started me on my journey. I was suicidal right before I, I read this book and it completely changed my life and it started me on my path and it was called How to Win Friends. Oh my gosh. Do your yes, listeners know yes, this story? They, well, this these people may not. Sometimes I get new people, but if you've been watching and following my stuff, that's, yes, I've, I've told this story. So I won't go in because I want to stick with this. It's super important. But uh, I, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence oh People by Dale Carnegie. It's like written in like the 20s. And like, I mean, it's been updated with like some of the references, like instead of talking about, you know, like... <laughs> whatever it was back then that they used for, you know, radios. And now it's like, oh, and you know, your TV, right? So they've, they've tried to update, but all the principles, it's kind of like I was saying earlier, they're all the same. And at the end of the day, there's really one main principle that that book just hammers home. And if you remember it, and if you use it in your daily life, and you never neglect it or take it for granted, you will always have friends, you will always have allies, you will always have people that are helping you to move forward and your relationships will be strong. And it's just make people feel special. And what what you just said is like, goes right to that principle. Like if you ask for somebody for help, all of a sudden they're like, wow, like he must, or she must think I'm, I'm really smart or I'm really, you know, this or that. And they're going to want to help you. And that's something that like you're saying this, uh, this thing that's in our brain tries to trick us into thinking that's not going to be the case that they're going to go, you need help. Like, what are you, what is your brain broken? Like what's wrong with you? Right. But that's, that's not what happens ever. It's the exact opposite. And then you get that help and you're actually feeding two things at once. And then you, you know, develop this relationship and feed off the energy of each other. So sorry to interrupt, but I, I just thought that was a super important point. That's beautiful. And I just want to call out, I recognize someone who joined us. Henry Amar joined us. He's a dear, dear colleague of mine and such a tremendous influencer and thought leader in this space of human growth and personal development. So he's um, in his photo, yeah. he's got hey, a green jacket on. And um, hi, hi, Henry. So glad you're here. So let's get... Um, Henry and I are going to be filming his podcast on Friday. So getting back to the conversation. Um, yeah, I love that you added that about Dale Carnegie and how to win friends and, and influence people. Um, another thing that you can do to gamify vulnerability. Um, I saw some questions kind of mm -hmm. come through, like, how do I do this at my job? How do I do this in corporate? Right. Um, you can start meetings in a variety of ways that invite people to bring themselves to the meeting holistically, but not in a way that they feel pressured to be vulnerable at a certain level, right? Because we all have different kind of thresholds for vulnerability and what's super right. vulnerable for one person might not be as vulnerable for another. So we meet everyone where they are, right? We're not the judge of other people's vulnerability, but you can do this thing. It's not my own called Rosebud thorn and you invite everyone to go around the room and just you know literally kind of take 30 seconds for each one to say what's your rose what's a success that you're having an excitement a praise a gratitude what's your thorn what's the thing that's not going the way that you thought it would uh, a detractor you know something's kind of sticking in your side and then what's a bud you know what's something that's emerging and hopeful and exciting that's happening in your life and people can, um, I'm going to use a noun as a verb now, people can pertain this to <laughs> their, their, their lives, right, in terms of, you know, personal and professional. That's a beautiful way if you're looking to deepen connection and to know people more, that's very non-threatening that you can gamify. I love it. I love it. So 
Right. So gamification can be tricky. You were, you're not wrong. And in, in everything you said was completely right on. Um, to take it to another level to say, okay, so now you've given us like these great uh, solutions to how to be vulnerable, right? You're basically like, here it is. So to me, mm -hmm. here's, here's, here's the disconnect with, with what ends up happening with most people, like I was kind of alluding to earlier, where they go, yes, 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 yes. And, right, and then it's like, okay, but it doesn't become practice. And why doesn't it? Because you haven't added it into your daily routine. It's not part of your system. And habits don't care. This is the crazy thing about habits. They could care less if they're good or bad, helping or hurting you. Either way, they're going to compound and they're going to do their thing over time, right? So asking for help is something that most of us have not developed the habit in and it's hurting us. Whereas if you get in the habit of asking for help, it's like, oh yeah, of course I asked for help. Like, why wouldn't I, right? But it, it, it's a front-loaded hump that you have to get over to get to that place. And so one suggestion I would have to gamify it is uh, just something as simple. So make it, I, we talked earlier, like make it obvious, make it attractive, uh, make it uh, rewarding, um, make it simple. So, you know, maybe put, put a reminder in your phone daily. So, right. So you're making it super obvious or, you know, I have a mantra that I say to myself uh, every morning. And when I find little nuggets of things that I'm like, Oh my God, that's something I need to say to myself and remind myself every day. I add them in. So it's changed over the years. I've now memorized it. I say it to myself, I have it stack it while I'm in the shower. So it doesn't I literally like, I'm not just wasting that time. I go in, I say my mantra to myself and then I say what I'm grateful for and I get out and I'm like, let's go. So but you, so you could, you could add it to your, you know, your, your daily reminder on your phone or something, you know, like the top one or two or three things you want to have too many. Cause then it's overwhelming of like, what do I want to remind myself of today? And then it goes off and then it's just, it's just that little reminder. And, uh, I won't get into my system, but I have this scoring system to where then at the end of the day, you sort of hold yourself accountable and you're like, okay, these are the habits I'm working on. How did I do today? And you actually do score yourself and my app's going to make it really fun and addicting. And you're going to fight through asteroid fields and, uh, meet aliens along the way. And, and you've got your rocket ship and all these things. But, but, but the, the point is you want to make it to where you're reminding yourself and it's obvious and it's simple and it's easy and it's rewarding. Like, and so like at the end of the day, you go, did I ask for help today? You know, was I vulnerable? And you just sort of give yourself, you know, a score and you say one to five, you know, if it didn't come up, you can say NA, uh, if it did and you didn't do it, you know, that, and then what happens is you just start basically beating it into your head on a daily basis and reminding, cause we have so many distractions coming at us from a zillion different directions. Point in case we talked about the six different streaming services, trying to find Shania, Shania Twain's documentary on. Uh, so you, so to me, it's, it's figuring out a way like, okay, this is something that's really resonating with me. I really want to develop this habit. How can I make it obvious, rewarding, simple, attractive. And so to me, that's just, just one simple way. And then, so, you know, maybe have your top habits. And if this is one of them at the end of the day, just say, okay, how did I do it? Just give yourself a score. Yeah, I love that. I, I have a question about, uh, gamification that, I would imagine at least one other person has this question too. If we were to say, Will, just hypothetically, we're going to start every meeting that we, every team meeting that we have with Rosebud and Thorn, mm -hmm. right? With this exercise. 
have we gamified that by connecting yep. it with a regular have. occurrence to say so that's this called, now? Uh, okay. Habit stacking. James Clear made that term popular in his book, uh, Atomic Habits, but he didn't invent it. But it's, it's essentially, that's really, I love that you just said that because what you're doing is that's another, that's a behavioral science hack. You're tricking your brain because you've got a habit. So habit stacking is when, uh, okay, I'm going to do, I'm already doing X and I'm going to add Y to it, right? So X is what you're already doing. Y is the one you want to do. You've already got the momentum and you've already developed and it's on autopilot, the X, right? You've got this meeting, you're, you're doing it every week. It's already there. Like you don't have to create a way for that to happen. You add this to it, you add this, this rosebud to it. And then all of a sudden, you know, that's literally tied to that. And that's immediately becomes automatic. And yes, you've, you've, you've gamified it. You've stacked that onto a habit you're already doing. And now you've got a habit that is, is a success habit that you want to do. Well done. I love that. I love that. Thank you. You know, I, <laughs> she can be taught, right? Uh, you know, and, and I'll add with the asking for help, um, the, the sort of flip side of that coin is that um, I read a story one time about um, Diane von Furstenberg, like queen of the rap dress and the wild prince, if you guys remember that from the late 90s, early 2000s. So what she gamified, if I'm using this correctly, the way that she implemented um, sort of this idea of help and service into her schedule and calendar is she she felt like she had been given so much and so at the beginning of each day she would sit down and write three emails where she offered to be of service either in a specific way or a general way to kind of three people in her network or people she identified with or people people she knew um, and that can be another way that we can like sort of start. It's, it's not as vulnerable. Well, maybe it is vulnerable to, to who am I to decide if it's vulnerable for you or not. You decide that, right? Um, it, it can be vulnerable to put ourselves out there and say, how can I help you? How can I be of service? Could I offer you some things? So I think she um, made that part of her, part of her daily morning routine to email three people into offer Love to that. be of service. Absolutely. That's, that's another perfect example. You got this down. You've already, you're a master. Far from, it's just that I have a great teacher <laughs> when the student is ready. Well, that's why the I love, these, I love these, these interviews, you know, and, um, you know, cause I always learn, I always learn something like I'm, I'm getting into, right. So I'm focusing more on some of these solutions on how to, or excuse me, on how to implement these great ideas from these great thought leaders such as yourself. Um, but then at the same time, like we need the ideas and we need the things. And every time I talk to some, somebody, they have a different take on it and it's going to resonate with, even if it resonates with just one person watching that goes, yes, that's the habit I need to develop. Like that's me. That's going to change my life. This vulnerability thing. I'm wearing a mask. I'm two different people. I've got this like dichotomy going on and it's killing me inside. And like you're saying, like the, the worst end result is suicide. And that's exactly where I was. I was that person. I was completely like so ashamed of who I was inside and the thoughts I was having. And I didn't tell anybody I Didn't tell my family, certainly not my friend or 
didn't really have too many friends, but the people that I hung out with and I was afraid to just be me and to let people know like who I really was. And God, what a terrible way to go through life. I mean, what a terrible way to go through life yet. So many of us do it. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. And I just love so many things about what you said, what you said, Will, and the diamond queen now says we really do in all caps. So underscored, underscored, you know, one of the things, and this is really outside the scope of our conversation today, and yet it's directly tied to what you just said. I think one of the things I, I talk about because of this two decades of work that I've done studying these concepts, I'm the number one international expert on resilience, mental health, and well-being. And that seems like a lofty claim until I'm like, yeah, well, I've been doing this for 20 years. I've interviewed hundreds of people, collected thousands of pieces of data. I have the only empirical framework on how we practice resilience behaviorally as humans, right? But less about me and more about you and others. One of the things that is so important around mental health and well-being and resilience is for us to normalize these concepts, this, this experience rather of suicidal ideation. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, we all, I mean, I won't speak for all of you. So let me just speak for myself. I've gone through my life. I have been at a point, you know, where I've thought, I've thought about suicide, like would people really miss me if I was gone? Right. There's like, you know, gradations of this thing. And then there's like, you know, standing on a bridge and contemplating jumping, right? And I've, I've been across the continuum at both ends of the spectrum, right? I've been in that like middle school sort of like, would my friends miss me if I were gone? And I've stood on a bridge with my toes curled over the side and thought about, you know, right. wouldn't it just be easier if I could sink below the surface and all of this would go away? And this is the vulnerability mm -hmm. bias at work, right? Because the vulnerability bias is like, that is a terrible idea to tell people that you are thinking that, please shut your mouth. And, and yet if we normalize this idea, I don't know, again, let me not make sweeping generalizations and talk for others. I believe based on conversations that I've had in my own experience that a vast majority of us have been somewhere on that continuum of suicidal ideation from would people miss me all the way to like contemplate you know pre-contemplation to like i've got a i've got an exit strategy and i'm thinking about putting it into place and if we could just normalize that this is part of the human experience that that life is directly yes. tied to death and in fact life is more precious when we understand that it's time limited. And what I'll say is every person that I've ever talked with that has been suicidal didn't want right. to die. They, they might've thought they might've thought they wanted to die because they thought that would be easier, right. but they didn't want to die. When, when we are suicidal, we need people to help us figure out how to live. I love that. Yeah. That's so true. And that's so, that's such a really good insight uh, into the whole, that whole process. And I mean, right, don't get me started on my soapbox with just the system in general being set up kind of stacked against us and broken when it comes to just, you know, it, you know, these main influences in our life versus your parents. And, you know, that's a crapshoot. Like, do your parents have good, 
values and, and are, do they know the stuff that's going to help you become that little growth owner or, or were they victims and are they, you know, going through the stuff that you're talking about, which will then end up spreading onto their kids and then school. I mean, it's getting better. That's the good news. Uh, but still, I mean, this type of stuff, like the normalizing word you use, just, just exposing kids to it early on. And so that it doesn't get to the point where they have to hide and it's a shameful. And what you say, the three L's that you mentioned, uh, you know, and, and having this mm -hmm. just horrific inside experience of feeling like they, they can't talk about it to anybody, even though deep down they do want to live. They just, they need help going back to what you were saying and being able to ask for help. is just like, that needs to be part of our curriculum. Like that needs from, from like very young age, mm -hmm. like that needs to just become normalized to where it's like not even an option. Like, why wouldn't I ask for help? Like, right. So they are starting to do more emotional intelligence stuff in schools. I am in Chicago. It's a very liberal town, which I like. Uh, and so, you know, our schools are doing a lot more of that type of stuff, but there's still vast parts of our country that don't have any of that stuff. Right. And we're learning about, you know, math and science and you get to algebra three G biometrics, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, how is that helping you to survive as a happy human being? Right. And you're missing all this other basic crap. So <laughs> I said, I wasn't going on my soapbox. I got on it yeah, a little bit, that's... but I had to get that in there. You, you, you yeah. got it out. That's all right. But, that's all right. right. I'm hundred percent you. with you on you that. You. Um, we got, we got a, we got a question from the audience here. Um, there's a lot of letters in a row. I don't do well with the Instagram handles, making out individual letters. So I'm just going to say there's a question about um, the Diamond Queen now. Those sneaky suicidal thoughts tried me once. I mean, even the Diamond Queen <laughs> now, the suicidal right. thoughts tried the Diamond Queen one time. You know, right. so even the Diamond no one Queen is, is no one is anymore, honestly. Even 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 the Diamond Queen now. <laughs> Thank you, Diamond right? Queen. Thank you, Diamond Queen. Yes. For your for your vulnerability. Um, someone was asking like, where, where are we now? And I was like, oh crap, how do we, how do we like sort of encapsulate this? Right. And so I, I think we're coming to the end of our time together today. And we just had this beautiful conversation, Will, that you have so expertly curated and effortlessly curated around how we can think about depression, you know, how we can think about, um, you know, chemical imbalance and, and sort of the nature or the inheritance inheritance of that alongside the, the nurture and the experiences that we have that might also make us depressed. It doesn't have to be a chemical imbalance all the way through to the mind-body connection. We've been riffing on the five practices of highly resilient people. We've talked about um, the importance of mindset, of Carol Dweck, of positive psychology, and how we bundle that with the five practices of highly resilient people to have both the mindset and the behaviors that engender resilience, mental health, and well-being. And what what we talked about when a couple of what we were talking about when a couple of you just joined was this idea of the vulnerability bias and the first practice of particularly or highly resilient people, where the vulnerability bias tells us that being vulnerable, it's a cognitive voice in our head that tells us that being vulnerable is very bad. And yet when we are strong enough to face that irrational fear, what it allows us to do is to come clean about some really universal elements of our human experience around everything and anything between asking for help to 
you know, being in a place where we're experiencing some level oh, of suicidal God. ideation. I'm going to just take all that that you said, and I'm going to put it in my show notes for the summary, because you just summed up beautifully everything we just talked about and with a nice little exclamation point on the end. And we also talked about and, and just how to take all this information that you're getting and try to gamify it a little bit by making it a little simpler to implement into your life. You had a nice example with, you know, if you've got a regular habit stacking, a regular practice you're already doing, add it on. You're talking about having a meeting and adding in the rosebud stuff. Um, and I was talking about, you know, like just having your hat, your top habits and recording them on, on a little notes, you know, don't, don't get too many because you're going to get overwhelmed and you're not going to. And then at the end, just kind of giving yourself a score and just holding yourself accountable. So I feel like we could talk for another 10 hours. And so let me, let me just ask you this. We've only talked about, so we've talked about the vulnerability aspect. You, you talk about five, these five ways, five practices of highly resilient people. Is that just the first one? Yeah. There's four more? True that. Okay. So true, true that, to, need, true story. Yeah, so I'm going to do a, yes, please. Let me do a quick lightning round. Yeah. So we talked about vulnerability as the first practice of highly resilient people. The second practice is the practice of productive perseverance as, as though there were not enough P's already in this model. Um, the practice of productive perseverance is the um, art and the science of knowing when to maintain a goal in the face, a, a goal or a, a, you know, stay in the face of challenge. Um, sorry, maintain a, a, mm -hmm. a goal in the face of challenge. Or when we recognize sort of in the face of diminishing returns that it would be better if we made a pivot, you know, small or large, right? Like, uh, maybe I'm gonna stay with plan A, but do something a little different, or it's like wholesale, like, right. and B it is, right? Um, so that's productive perseverance. The third practice of highly resilient people is the practice of connection. And this, you know, you'll start to see that these practice, practices also like dovetail so beautifully with each other. Because when we talk about connection, I think what we initially think about is our connections to others. And the first thing that we get to think about actually is our connection to ourselves. <laughs> you know, how, what, what is that still small voice within us? you know, trusting our gut, knowing our worth and value. And then from that place of cultivating a deep connection with ourselves over the course of our lifetimes, then also the intersectionality of what it means to be deeply connected Love to it. others. The fourth practice of highly resilient people is the practice of gradiosity. And it really stands for the combination of gratitude and generosity. Smooshed, smooshed I love that word. Together. And smoosh, <laughs> technical term, <laughs> technical term, to smoosh. And what I heard from people was when they looked on these moments where they faced the three C's, the challenge, change, and complexity, after some time, they were able to look on that experience, even if they hadn't chosen the circumstance, with gratitude, right? Like, I didn't want that to happen, and I can see the good in it that occurred as a result. I can see the silver lining. I can see that this was a well-disguised blessing, right? And then the second part is the osity, the generosity. And what we get to do here is we get to build on that foundational element of vulnerability, and we get to share our resilient stories generously with others, just as you have done, Will, and, and you solidify your own resilience, your own experience, and what you come through when you give voice to that story. And you also 
shine a light for others to know that there's hope, you know, and, and the potential for something. Love it. For something oh my more. God. I mean, so I, there's, so. And, and real quick before you, yes. um, the fifth one, just real quick possibility. It's not getting mired in perfection, focusing on progress and evaluating risk and opportunity as a duality. So, right. Okay, I mean, all period, these other four, I mean, we spent like, you know, 45 minutes on the first one vulnerability. So, I mean, I would love to uh, talk more about these other ones, just jump right into them and talk about how to gamify each. So I'll send you uh, another link to sign back up. If you have time, I'd love to have you back on the show for a part two. I don't normally invite people for a part two, but I just, I really like how you're putting these things together and phrasing them. And to me, it all just comes down to, I mean, this is all about, like I said, the number one core that I, you know, the, we've got these five cores, but mindset above is, is far and above like what you got to get going for you. And then everything else just becomes incrementally easier. You use the word dovetail. I like that. I like to, the word, uh, there's like a ripple effect. Uh, you know, you start improving in this area and it starts helping you over here and over here and over here and over here. And then it all just sort of compounds and you start building that momentum with your little rocket ship up there in your five course. Uh, so thank, I mean, this is amazing. I want to talk to you more. I hate that we have to end it, but this is probably one of the longer episodes I've ever had. So that's kudos to you because I did not want to cut you off or stop talking. Uh, thank you everybody for joining diamond queen. Let's go. My favorite. You're my favorite. Uh, thank you guys for all your awesome comments and questions. It's always a tough between trying to answer questions and, and talk about what we're because you get into great conversations with people. Um, I wish these things could be three hours, but we, you, you did a great job, especially thank you uh, of, of answering, you know, recognizing some of these questions and addressing them. So love it. Love you. Thank you for coming on and hope to have you on again. Thank you so much. What a tremendous honor to be here with you, Will, to be a part of your movement and the momentum you're creating and to be here with all of you who have joined. Thank you so much. It's, um, it's, really, it's really been a delight. Love it. All love right. We'll have a wonderful rest of the day. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye now. That's it for the five core life. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit that like button on this video and pound that subscribe button so you get notified when new episodes drop. Also, please fill out the free five core life evaluator quiz. It's a great way to get a baseline of where you are and the five cores and which of the five cores you need support. In addition, you'll get some actionable advice that you can apply and start improving your life in the areas that you need it most. That's it for today's episode of the five core life podcast. Have a wonderful day. Get moving, gain momentum, join the movement. Join Emmett by going to moremomentum.com to take a free life evaluator quiz on where you currently stand in each of your five course.